Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Uh, today we're talking to Stacy Gold about, in a lot of ways, her career path in the outdoors. And one thing I've learned pursuing my own career path is you never know where it's going to end up. Um, and it's probably the case if you're pursuing a career in the outdoors, it's not going to be linear. It's not going to be this nice laid out plan, much like an adventure. You might have an idea of where you're going or what you're shooting for, but my goodness, trying to make a living doing some of this stuff, whether it's guiding or retail or or anything like that, it, it can be very tough. I mean, I started out wanting to work in bike touring and bike packing as a guide, and I ended up working in marketing for a non-alcoholic brewery. So, you know, I definitely didn't see a lot of that coming and a lot of the steps in between. And for Stacy, it was no different. What's cool about her story is she writes award-winning adventure romance novels. So take romance novels, which are, you know, often overlooked in the bookstore by yours truly, but my wife loves them. My, I, I've always remembered my grandma had a ton of them in her house, um, loved them. And they always, you know, gave had that cheesy cover of two beautiful people just like making out or something. It was always just so dramatic. Uh, but Stacy decided to make a twist on that whole genre and do adventure sports and outdoor sports because she herself is a super badass woman. Uh, she has run more than 50 rivers kayaking in three continents and self did a self-supported kayaking trip through the Grand Canyon, uh, stuff like that. She's like, you know, a lot of the women in these books that I love don't reflect women like me that are very strong, very capable. And so she decided to kind of rework the whole genre uh, and make it more honestly, realistic for the outdoors culture. So uh, her latest book is Wild at Heart. It's coming out this May. It's actually out now because it's June right now. Um, you can find it anywhere you get books, uh, but you can go to our, her website, um, stacygold.com. Uh, I think it's on Amazon, but yeah, go to her website. She'll tell you more about where to find it. And she also talks about that in the show, but check it out, Wild at Heart. And she also has a couple other series that are already out that have helped her build this uh, career. But Interesting thing, what got her started in this whole thing was an injury, a shoulder injury. So it's kind of cool that the unexpected and things that kind of disrupt your life are oftentimes the the thing you need to happen to make the change that you want to happen. I mean, have we not learned that through the pandemic? Have we not learned that through a number of other instances? So if you're going through something right now, whether it's injury, just got laid off, even more awful things or bigger things or whatever it is for you, it is an opportunity to make a change that you want to change. And this could be, in a lot of ways, the best thing that ever happened to you. I know that's crazy to hear, but we hear it over and over and over and over again on this podcast um, that the sometimes what you think is the worst thing happening in the moment ends up being potentially the best thing that's ever happened because it, it changes you. So hope that encourages you, but let's go ahead and jump in. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Stacy Gold and I were talking just before this uh, about <laughs> another thing that was pretty funny. But Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mason. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, gosh, where uh, where are you coming from today? I always like to ask that first because you never know with this show. Oh, absolutely. I am in sunny Boulder, Colorado. Ooh, is it sunny today? Nice day today? It is. I think we're actually supposed to hit like 88 degrees today. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I was just in Denver, Golden, like a couple weeks ago. It was 90 degrees. And by the next evening, it was in the 30s. It was oh, yeah. unbelievable, the swing. And uh, yeah, I know it's uh, totally doable there. I mean, it could snow today in Boulder. I've had it. I've actually seen it snow right around Mother's Day. So I think it does every year around that time. It usually does, but our weather this year has been so bizarre that what should have been our snow about a week ago came as a couple of days of drizzly Seattle-style rain. Oh, wow. Um, we were about, oh, 5, 10 degrees too warm. And it's just been so strange. You know, the weather is, is normally hard to, to know exactly what's going to happen here. And our temperature swings are pretty normal, but... You know, it was 71 yesterday. It's going to be 88 today. And I think it's back in the low 70s tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Well, uh, gosh, well, I, you know, I, I'd love to hear about, you know, be, being in Boulder. Not a lot of people 
have grew up there. I don't know if that was that always been home for you. Did you grow up somewhere else? No, I actually grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, no kidding. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. And, uh, and I came, um, I came out West for school. I had gotten a job as a raft guide in Tennessee and kind of discovered the whole world of being a seasonal worker and, um, quickly decided I needed to ski bum in Colorado and then finish my, my degree out here. So I went to Colorado state in Fort Collins and then was in the Rockies for a number of years working for the forest service. I was, uh, up in Montana and Jackson Hole and over in Stanley, Idaho, and then uh, ended up in Seattle for about 15 years and just came back to Colorado seven years ago. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so, so grew up in Atlanta. What was it? Were you in an adventurous family or a family that did things outdoors? Sounds like you left there to go pursue more adventurous things. So there must have been some foundation, right? Actually, not really. Not really. It's- my husband and I were just talking about this recently, and he's like, you know, it's so amazing that you got into the outdoors so hardcore, because, I mean, my mother is from Switzerland, so, you know, when we would go visit family over there, we'd do a little hiking in the Alps. Um, I remember going fishing with my dad a couple times when I was really little, but I just always loved being outdoors. I mean, I was the kid roaming the woods. I would just sit outside in the yard and read, because I would rather be outside reading than inside as a kid. And uh, when I got into Girl Scouts, actually as a brownie, um, I discovered I'd go camping twice a year if I stayed in Girl Scouts. So I was in Girl Scouts for eight years just to go camping twice a year. Wow. Wow, yeah. no kidding. That's awesome. Yeah, because no one in my family was was into it at all. Do, do you feel like Girl Scouts was, a, was a, a good foundation for that? Did it, did it I mean, you obviously it helped you, but... Do, would you recommend that to folks? Um, you know, obviously it's been a really long time, so I have no mm-hmm. idea what scouting programs are like now. Um, and I know that every scouting program is really different depending on the skill set of the leaders. So I've heard of some Girl Scout programs that like barely went camping or did anything really outdoorsy. It was more arts and craftsy. I was lucky. Mine was pretty outdoorsy and we would camp twice a year and learn to build fires and make the little hobo stoves with your tin can and do uh, orienteering games. And so I think it was good for me just in that it was another opportunity to be out there and be comfortable and learn more skills and learn that if it's really freezing, you can put your socks on your hands and, you know. <laughs> can you? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you learn all kinds of tips and tricks when, you, when, you, when you're in uh, uh, trying to stay warm, especially. It's a, quite a motivator. Warmth yeah. and hunger will, will, will get you pretty innovative. Um, it will. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear that the, the Scouts was a good foundation for you. I was never in the Scouts. I, I can't speak to it, but I've heard good things from the folks I know that were in it. And uh, I think there's a pretty cool program around here that I know about that that has uh, got a great camp. But anyway, so, so what did your parents think? I don't know if you you had that kind of relationship where you talked about this stuff. What did they think about this, you know, leaving off, going west um, in search of, of a, a more adventurous life? Oh, they were, um, you know, I tried to, to hide it under the guise of, um, I was trying to get a, a degree in outdoor recreation and I was at Georgia State University and, and their outdoor rec meant uh, planning parties for senior homes. <laughs> it was like hey. not what I was after. Um, so I kind of hid it initially under the guise of, well, I need to go out West because they have better degree programs for me out there. Then I took a, promptly took a year off, um, quote unquote, to establish residency before I went back <laughs> and uh, spent the summer guiding on the Arkansas and then ski bummed in Breckenridge. That was my first year ski bumming. And my parents were starting to get a little more like, I don't know if this is such a good idea, but she's out there now, you know? <laughs> oh, man. So they they were really unsure. I mean, I started my journey in the outdoors in the late 80s, and there were just not a lot of women doing what I was doing. There were a few, but it real, really wasn't commonplace. And, and I got a lot from my parents of, what are you doing with your life? How is this going to be a career? Isn't it dangerous? How about you don't tell me about your adventure till you're back, <laughs> you know? <laughs> How did you process that? Because we, we we get a lot of listeners. I ask because we get a lot of listeners that are 
probably in that phase right now. Yeah, you know, it was on some levels incredibly difficult because I was going against, you know, all the people you're supposed to listen to. Culture as well. I came from a pretty I came from a pretty dysfunctional home life that I really wanted to get away from. And I had figured out that being in the outdoors was the healthiest place for me. And not just physically, mentally, emotionally. I am the best version of myself when I am outdoors. And I recognized that at a pretty young age. So it made it a little easier to to keep going on my path, despite the naysayers. Yeah, it wasn't easy all the time, for sure. There were definitely times when I heard, what are you doing? This is so selfish. You know, what kind of career are you going to have? And I was like, I, I don't care. I'm happier here. I'm just yeah. going to keep doing this. It makes me happy. So where did that path take you? For for a lot of folks in the outdoor industry, it's not a, it's not a steady trajectory by any means. It's, it's, it's a roundabout way of almost every path I've ever heard from folks, <laughs> including mine. So I'm sure it was the same for you. Oh, yeah, it's pretty much the the curviest, weirdest path ever. Um, So I did get my degree in uh, resource management and environmental education and did six seasons for the Forest Service. But at that point, in the early to mid-90s, the Forest Service was going through a lot of budget cuts. And so they had this whole setup where they wouldn't hire me even as a seasonal worker, what they would do, because they didn't have the budget, is they would bring me on as a volunteer, contract me out to guest ranches who would pay me to come out and do talks. And then they gave me a per diem and a vehicle and a place to stay and, you know, all the swag. And then when I worked as a backcountry ranger and a river ranger for them, I just got basically per diem and housing and, you know, a car to drive to where I needed to go while I was working. Um, so, you know, it was, um, it was basically no money time for me. I was real broke. Um, and I kept ski bumming in the winters and then working for the forest service in the summers. And finally I was just like, I, you know, I wanted to keep going with the forest service and move up. And it was just so hard. They, they cut so much budget when I was living in Jackson, Wyoming, that they combined, uh, two ranger stations into one and just had everybody double up their workload. They fired like half the people. Um, so I could see, and, and they always told me, you know, we have to uh, clean the toilets before we can have education programs. So eventually I realized that it really wasn't a career path that I was going to be able to follow very easily. Um, and I kind of did, you know, I did the usual this and that. I worked in outdoor shops. I was a ski technician. I ran a boating department. I waited tables a lot on the side to, you know, make enough cash. I lived in my car. I lived in my pickup truck. Um, and then eventually, right about the time I decided that Jackson just wasn't going to quite work out for me, I needed to move on to something else. I decided I would spend a winter in Europe and ski bum and live over there with my grandparents. And so um, I was getting ready to leave Jackson at the end of the summer and happened to meet my now husband who was traveling around following the kayak rodeo circuit, living in the back of his pickup truck. And uh, I was a a buyer in a shop and his buddy he was traveling with was uh, repping helmets. And so they showed up and the joke is I got helmets and he was kind of the special that went with my helmet purchase. (laughs) You're going to need the helmet with him. Right. So I did end up going to Europe for for the winter and it turned out to be a horrible ski season there. Like started out great and then they had no snow until like four days after I left. Jeez. But it was a great experience to go spend a winter over there and get to travel around and ski and um, came back and uh, waited for my now husband to to finish school. And when he asked me to marry him, I told him that I would as long as he moved out West and learned to ski because he was in Georgia, ironically. Also from Georgia. Also from Georgia. And so uh, we moved to Seattle and uh, he got a job at an outdoor company. And I almost got a couple jobs at a couple different outdoor companies and sort of randomly ended up 
writing. Initially, I was writing articles for magazines. Um, so I was writing for Paddler and Canoe and Kayak and magazines like that and realized I wasn't going to be able to make a living doing that. And I had always been a good writer. And back when I lived in Jackson, in fact, I started writing promo for the shop I was working at because the guy who owned the shop hated doing it. And I was like, oh, I can do it for you. Here you go. So I sort of inadvertently became a marketing copywriter. <laughs> and initially, I was writing mostly for outdoor companies in Seattle. But eventually, I branched out and wrote for all kinds of companies. So I always kept writing uh, for outdoor companies. And uh, about 16 years later, that turned into me being the communications director for a statewide mountain biking organization. So I I just kind of have always been in the outdoors and always been writing in a weird backwards way. It's circled around. And now I write outdoor adventure romance books, which seems like a really squirrely path. But here I am. Here you are. <laughs> well, on, on that path, maybe, maybe before the career in marketing or, or whatever was the most stable aspect of that path, what, what was some of your what was a highlight or two of maybe trips or adventures you did and maybe a, 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 a piece that you wrote that you were really proud of to this day? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor, Gnarly Nutrition. I know you've heard about them recently because we've had some guests on recently that credits Gnarly for helping them do the the adventures that we talk about on this show. So uh, Chris Fisher was one who did the Vert Max. He did 400,000 feet of elevation gain in a month. Check out that episode. Uh, that was not too far back. And uh, he credits Gnarly Nutrition for keeping him his body literally sustained during that time, just packing in the calories. It's amazing nutrition for anyone doing anything adventure, uh, endurance-based, whether that's in the mountains or bikepacking or whatever. It's a great thing to have with you prior to an, uh, an adventure training and also during an adventure. And also Jason Hardrath, who recently did um, the 100 Fastest Known Times. He did 100 mountains in 50 days and just was slamming gnarly nutrition. He also credits Gnarly for essentially keeping his body sustained. And so um, Gnarly Nutrition has been around since 2008. They were born in Utah's Wasatch Mountains, uh, and they are committed to educating and inspiring athletes of all levels to be as nutritionally sound as possible. Their nutrition supplements are certified by NSF and have science-backed products free of hormones, free of GMOs, proprietary blends, uh, and nothing artificial. So Gnarly is going to help you get ready and help you sustain during uh, those huge adventure efforts. So if you're looking for the best tasting and the most trusted sports nutrition brand for any endurance athletes, go to Go Gnarly, and that is G-N-A-R-L-Y dot com, and use the code GnarlyAdventure15 for 15% off. And just, you know, a personal plug here, I love Gnarly. I love the folks there. They're doing such a fantastic job. They have been so great to work with. Uh, they helped provide some products for um, our Journey to 100 film series uh, that we were doing giveaways with at the end of every film screening. So it's been a pleasure to work with them so far. So if you'd like to support the folks that are supporting this show, definitely go visit gonarly.com. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. It's interesting because when you choose to live that sort of seasonal life and you live in a town like Jackson, Wyoming, and I was in Jackson for almost five years, um, you don't leave Jackson very often because you don't have the cash. <laughs> um, but I did so many amazing adventures in that area so many things that looking back, of course, you know, the hubris of, of your 20s, you don't really think about it. And you're like, oh, sure, I'll hike my kayak in six miles and go run this minor fork of this river way up on a mountain pass. And we'll figure it out when we get there. We don't really know much, but it'll probably be all right. Um, yeah, yeah. That's how, that's how so, it is. That's what you do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So I did get a good bit of that. Um, I often look back really fondly. I used to periodically go over and run the Murtaugh section of the Snake River, um, which is near Twin Falls, Idaho. And it's a really interesting stretch of river. It's one of those where you're just like driving through farmlands and all of a sudden there's like a chasm 
in the earth and there's a river at the bottom. And it's one of those places that you'll really never get to see unless you find a way to take a boat because there, there are no hiking trails into there or anything of that nature. Um, so it's a, uh, it's a really neat run and it's got a really long shuttle through the farmlands and a number of times I went over and ran it and just took bicycles and we would run the whole river, get out at the end, ride our bikes back, get the car, be pulling back into the park at the takeout right before they shut the gates. Um, but it was just such a spectacular run and one of those things I did probably back when I shouldn't have been doing something like that, but it always worked out fine. <laughs> and it was just uh, such a beautiful spot and such a random, like I always felt like I was getting away with something running that river because it, it was just such a cool, high-walled, tucked-in-the-middle-of-nowhere run with these amazing rapids. Mm. I think about that one a lot. Um, as far as writing things back then the one that stands out most for me i went back and read it recently and i read it now and i'm like eh, it really isn't my best writing um but it was a funny little short like 500 word story about a buddy of mine who was a total goofball and uh he had finally gotten a new dry suit with a pea zipper in it and he had gotten a friend to make him a custom fleece um, onesie to go under it and he was so excited about his whole new setup and he was just like pounding water at the put in and so he could pee because he wanted to you know use his pee zipper and his whole new thing and so we're down the river a ways and he's all pumped and wants to you know he pulls over on a beach I gotta go to the bathroom and he's all excited woohoo I'm gonna go pee and he goes behind a bush and there's dead silence and then a string of curse words and we're all like oh no what happened um, and something about Mary had just come out right before this. And I was like, dude, did you have a zipper incident in there? Um, oh, gosh. And he comes out and it turns out that he, when he had the bunny suit made, he didn't have them put a pea zipper in it. <laughs> so he unzipped the pea zipper on his dry suit and there was no pea zipper in his onesie. And so he was trapped in his dry suit um, with a very bad need to pee. And uh, so that was the first story I ever got published in a magazine. Uh, was a story about my friend Blake. And uh, it's just such a funny story. And, and I wrote it really tongue in cheek and, and, uh, and they published it. And so that was kind of the start of me as a professional writer. <laughs> oh man, that's uh, making your parents proud. That's for sure. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she made it. She made it right about pea zippers. This is awesome. No, that's so funny. Um, <laughs> wow. I love that. What a, what a, what a, I wouldn't have guessed that would have been your first story. I was not expecting that. That's awesome. So from from there, you know, you found, I assume, or, or at least refined this love of writing. Kept doing it with copywriting, and, and then you know, then what? Just just getting into a career, settling down a little bit. I don't know. Are you still doing adventures during this career with copywriting and marketing? Um, what was that looking like? How was that change coming about for you? Well, you know, at the time I was still doing a little bit of raft guiding and uh, I was teaching kayaking. I was running a woman's kayak program and I was trying to keep all that going. And then for a while, honestly, the business just consumed me to the point where like my husband would go, you know, paddle or ski with our friends and, and come back and be like, everyone was asking where you were. And I'm like, yeah, I've been sitting here tied to this keyboard for the last nine hours. Um, and eventually I just had to, you know, kind of come clean with myself that it, it wasn't healthy and it, it wasn't good for my marriage. It wasn't good for me personally. I had lost my connection to what made me feel best. And so um, eventually I found better balance with it. And then um, the big crash hit in 2008 and my business kept doing really well for about another year. And then, of course, so many people during that time, you know, really pulled back their businesses. And I was getting really overwhelmed with the advent of uh, social media, which was just, you know, impossible to keep up with in the early days. There was, you know, a new platform popping up every week and I was supposed to know about them all. And my clients, you know, what do you think about Google Plus? Should I be on Snapchat? I'm like, I don't know. Um, so eventually I realized I was just getting way too burned out. And I decided to close my business. 
And I took about a year and a half off uh, to figure out what I wanted to do when I grow up and get out and play some more and recalibrate myself. And uh, that's how I ended up working for the mountain biking organization. I, I decided that I wanted to be more involved in an outdoor company again. And I wanted to use my marketing skills to help a business I was really passionate about. And so, um, so I switched to that for, for a few years, um, which was fabulous and wonderful. And they were a great org and I, I helped them grow tremendously. Um, and they're still going and doing wonderful work. But if anybody who's listening has ever worked for a nonprofit, <laughs> you can imagine that I burnt out after a while. I was going to ask you about that actually, as you know, you, you were talking about burnout, switching gears and Jumping into a mountain bike nonprofit sounds like another fast track to burnout, honestly. So it really it seemed was. to be the case. I mean, it, was, it was super great and super fun, but it totally turned into, you know, doing three to four people's jobs all the time. Um, and I just finally was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't keep doing this. Um, so yeah, I, I eventually had to leave them. But it was during that year and a half break after I closed my business that I started reading fiction again for the first time in, in years. Because when I had my business, I was too busy to disappear into a book. I, you know, I'm the kind of person, if it's a good book, man, I'm gone until it's done. You're not going to see me. You won't be able to talk to me. <laughs> my life goes on hold. Um, so when I had my business, all I ever did was read nonfiction business books, magazines, that kind of thing. And uh, I stumbled across some contemporary romance novels during that year and a half off and kind of fell in love with them. What? And And you weren't a fan of them before? No, no. I tried to read romance as a teenager, but it was back in the days of what they call the bodice rippers, you know, the girl on the cover in the, you know, old fashioned dress and what they call the clinch with the big Fabio looking guy. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. My my grandmother has a uh, room full of them. (laughs) <laughs> a collection. Yeah, yes, totally. Exactly. Um, and I never liked those because they were all about the damsel in distress getting rescued by the knight in shining armor kind of deal. And it was pretty clear to me early on that I was not a damsel in distress and I did not need anybody coming to rescue me and change my life around. So what did you like about them then? I, I mean, I didn't like those, but the new ones, when I found the new ones... It was women who owned their own business and were successful in their own right and found men who appreciated that about them versus coming to rescue them all the time. And I thought, okay, now this, this is interesting to me because I love a good character-driven book. I like a story of transformation. Um, So that kind of started, that piqued my interest. And it was funny because at that time, I remember I was, talking to my husband about a book I was reading a romance and raving about it. And he looks at me and goes, you know, you should write one of those. And I just laughed. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Hmm. When would I write fiction, let alone a romance novel? That's just ridiculous. And then towards the end of my time with the mountain biking organization, I actually had a bad wreck on my bike and blew out my shoulder. And uh, I had a bit of a wait before I could get surgery. And so, um, that winter, like I couldn't go skiing or really do much. I mean, I went a couple times, really big powder days. I'm like, well, if I fall, it'll probably be soft enough. It won't mess the shoulder up too much, you know? <laughs> right. Um, of but, uh, yeah, I started, um, I was bored at home on the weekend alone and I had the idea for a romance and I started writing it and decided about halfway through that I liked it way better than writing nonfiction. And so I kept going. <laughs> what what did you enjoy about that aspect and what surprised you about about writing those fiction novels oh my god fiction is so hard I just, that was the biggest surprise like I thought oh you know I've been a professional writer for like 20 years surely I can pick this up no problem right especially when it's not fact based and you gotta do research you can just make stuff right, up exactly as you write. how hard could it Probably be the <laughs> yeah right right make up a story yeah it took me <laughs> About four years to get good enough at writing fiction to actually start trying to put anything out. And that first book I wrote, I finished it. I edited it and revised it about five more times. I had a critique partner. We went through it together. 
And I finally just threw it in the garbage can because it was a mess, a hot mess. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I call it my learner novel, you know, like having your learner's per permit driving. I don't have it all down yet, but that's okay. Um, but I really liked the fact that A, I, got to, I get to play God when I'm writing fiction, right? I can make anything I want happen to anybody I want. Right. Um, that's that's so fun. That's <laughs> fun. Yeah, a little power trip, but good times. Um, but it also finally gave me an opportunity to write women who are more representative of women like me instead of what, you know, because of course the, the majority of women in romance novels are what our society expects the majority of women to be like. And our society doesn't really expect women to be serious outdoor athletes and be competent and capable. And um, so it's been really fun for me to create the stories that I wish I could have stumbled upon when I was younger and really fighting against all that pressure to not be making the choices that I was making. So, I'm hoping that maybe I'm giving an example to um, to other women out there that there are different options and you don't have to take the regular path. Do you find um, the outdoor industry being... Uh, may, uh, let me ask this, actually, first. Were there any examples uh, uh, of these books? You said you know, the new style of romance novels was uh, a more empowered woman that was doing her own thing and wasn't this damsel in distress uh, as much. What, were there anything, was there anything that existed in the outdoor industry specifically, or was that just an unfilled niche at that point? Well, you know, the closest thing, and it's one of the books that did inspire me, was Cheryl Strayed's book, Wild. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that, and that did really well. And there was, well, it wasn't a romance, it wasn't women. Um, Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods um, about backpacking on uh, the AT was kind of an inspiration for me. And, and there's a little bit of stuff um, in the world of nature writing that uh, is written by women. And, and that struck me a little bit more in terms of being inspiring to me, but there was nothing out there. Um, and, and an example, if anybody's curious, is uh, Barbara Kingslover's book, Prodigal Summer. Um, a lovely book. It's got a number of different main characters in it, but one of them is a woman basically living out in a tiny cabin by herself in the woods. Um, and, and I really felt a kinship to that. So there's like little, little bits of things that were sort of flirting with the edges of what I wanted to do. And were popular enough to make me think maybe there was a an audience for this sort of thing. What has been the reception of the outdoor industry so far? I I, I feel like it's a community or an industry that that is more receptive to this kind of idea. But but you tell me. Well, you know, the book's only been out a little over a week, um, and I'm still reaching out to outdoor industry folks and um, some other podcasts and whatnot. And so far, I think it's a mix of people are excited, but a little not sure where to put it. You know, um, kind of like me in my 20s, I don't, it doesn't really fit in any of the neat boxes that we have already. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely is a novel idea. It's definitely a new path, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, which is cool. I'm glad someone's blazing it, you know? Right? That's it. I mean, I just felt like someone has to do it. And this is what, this is what pleases me. I'm writing the books that I want to read and hoping others will come along for the ride with me. Um, but I can say that overall, the general reception has been really good. Um, both outdoorsy people and non-outdoorsy people are really enjoying it. And it's a book that's written, I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, Cheryl Strade's book or Bill Bryson's book. You don't have to be a backpacker to enjoy those stories. Um, you can be in awe of, oh my gosh, really? You decided to do that? That's kind of crazy, but okay, I'll follow your story. Um, so I like to think that my books are good for the adventurer and the armchair adventurer. And um, people are really enjoying it. And the thing that I'm most excited about is in this particular book, Wild at Heart, my new release, mm -hmm. um, 
it's backpacking romance. And the woman is the one who's got all the backpacking experience. And the guy is trying to reset his life. They're both trying to reset their lives, but she's backpacked a ton. And she's like, you know, I'm going to take five weeks off and do my favorite stretches of the PCT and kind of recalibrate myself. And he's more like, my life has imploded. The last time I was in happy, I was happy was uh, when I was in Scouts as a kid. So, you know, I think I'm going to go speed hike a section of a trail. And he's a triathlete. He's thinking, I'm in shape. You know, I run this far all the time. It'll be fine. Um, and of course, he makes horribly stupid choices and gets himself in trouble. And she's the one that comes to his rescue. And to make it a little more fun, and because it's a romance novel, he keeps either ending up naked or she finds him naked after his catastrophic incidents. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> so it really kind of ups the ante and puts him in the most vulnerable possible situations. And he ends up being really impressed with her and amazed and finds her skills and abilities and the fact that she's out there by herself and she's so confident and she keeps rescuing him to be extremely attractive, um, which I think is so important because I know I struggled for a long time. You know, our society isn't really set up for women to be attractive, feminine, strong, hardcore, all the things at once, right? You, you got to pick. <laughs> so um, the reception to that part that I made him, what people are calling the mamsel in distress. <laughs> the mamsel. Love it. Is, uh, is really resonating and people are really enjoying that. And I love that part. That's really cool. I love that. Now, I also feel it's not a... Uh... It's not an outlandish scenario. I mean, maybe finding him naked every time is kind of kind of a weird, funny coincidence in real life, but it sounds like it could happen. A little more plausible even, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, most of the dumb choices he's made, I've known somebody <laughs> right. who's made a similar stupid choice, oh, you yeah. know? <laughs> at least a few. Right? I mean, we've all done it. It's just that most of the time you get lucky and it works out okay. <laughs> That is funny. So, so can I ask you this? I know you. I know you're extremely active. You love to to do uh, all kinds of sports. Are you thinking about these ideas or like these potential storylines as you're adventuring? You know what I'm saying? Like, all right, are you are you on out on the PCT yourself or mountain biking somewhere and think, you know, this could be a funny situation or scenario or an area for another book? Um, how is your creative process as you adventure, or are they separate? They're actually pretty intertwined. In fact, I work out a lot of my plot issues when I'm climbing on my mountain bike, like a long, just grueling climb. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta do something productive during that time for sure. So. Right, it takes my mind off my legs, yes. my lungs, and that vein in my forehead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> takes the pain and puts it in your heart instead. <laughs> right, I've definitely had moments. In fact, uh, we were running Westwater Canyon last fall with a, with a bunch of other people, many of whom we did not know, but turned out to be just this really great, hilarious crew. And, you know, there's a, people always say, you have to watch what you say around fiction writers because we'll write that shit right, in your books, right. right? They'll change the name, so, thankfully, but you know where it came from. Right, exactly. So I'm sitting there and we're all hanging out in the evening you know, partying and laughing and someone's making a comment. And I think it's really funny. So I grab my phone and I'm just jotting this stuff down in my notes app. And all of a sudden I get busted. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing over there? Are you taking notes? And I'm like, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> but it, it was really funny. And it, and it led me to the, the name of the town that my lead character in book two is from, um, which is going to be Jesus, Texas. Jesus, so Texas, right in the Bible Belt. It's got to be. No, that's uh, exactly. <laughs> that's hilarious. No, I love that. I, I I put myself on mute when I'm not talking, but I, I'm laughing. So you might not hear it, but that's. Uh, I love that. You got to be careful what you're saying because they're going to write that down for their next book. Um, that is too funny. Well, well, well. Tell us about some of the adventures you like to do now that. Um, you know, and first of all, I, I meant to mention this before, but you mentioned this whole career path came from an injury, um, or at least like the germination of that path came from 
initially that injury and that time to reflect. Uh, it's it sounds like you've never let something bad go to waste in the sense of you never know where this is going to take you. You never know where this you know mishap or or, or um, wrong turn essentially is is going to lead to some new opportunity. It sounds like that's a mindset you've had this through this whole trajectory through this whole career path. Yeah, you know, as I've gotten older, I've really tried to embrace that more and more because. Um, as we were saying at the beginning, which you said so well, is that if you try to have a career in the outdoor industry, it is not a straight line. <laughs> um, Very, I've never talked to anybody. Very rarely is no. it anything that's a straight line. And if it is a straight line, it's maybe it's boring. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, <laughs> yeah, it never, it very, very rarely happens. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, as I've gotten older, I've had more injuries over the years. I've just really tried to embrace the fact that, you know, everything happens exactly as it should, when it should. It just not might might not be what you want when you want it. <laughs> so just just hold on and it'll shift again. Yeah. And who knows where you'll end up and, and it could be really great. So yeah, I definitely tried to embrace that. And it's been hard at times. I mean, that particular shoulder injury, I blew. I missed the uh, landing on a jump and just pile drove in on my shoulder and blew two rotator cuffs completely off the bone. So I had to have it repaired. And then the recovery went bad. And it took me about five years to get my shoulder back. It was a long and arduous path. And I mean, I was able to start doing some things again. I started mountain biking again and I was skiing again and all that. But I really couldn't do a lot of kayaking for quite a while. And it wasn't that it was that painful, but it didn't feel solid. Mm. So it, it was concerning. You know, I can't be the weak link. In fact, the summer that I blew my shoulder, I was supposed to that fall kayak the Grand Canyon and I had to cancel out of the trip. Now, were you were eventually able to go back to the Grand Canyon, correct? I was. In fact, I did it this past November. Tell us about that trip. What did you do? What was, you know, it was kayaking. Uh, but tell tell us what you did and, and how long you were out there and some of those some of those details. Sure. I got really lucky. The exact same friend who had the permit that I had to cancel out of got another permit, planned almost the exact same trip, but starting about a week later, and uh, invited us along again. And this was a self-support kayak trip. So we had no rafts. There were 14 of us. We were all paddling boats like between 11 and 13 feet long with a ton of storage capacity. And uh, we ran the river from Lee's Ferry, the regular put-in. Uh, we took out at Diamond Creek, which is a little bit earlier put in uh, than going down to Pierce Ferry all the way in the lake, simply because um, that last stretch is about 60 miles. And now that the levels have gotten so low in the reservoirs, it's like mud banks. You've got to hike like 50 feet up a mud bank to get to the campsites. And so in a raft, people literally just float through the night and sleep on their boats in there. Um, so as kayakers, we weren't too keen. And our friend Joel had done it once that way. And um, he's like, yeah, I've been down there once. That was sufficient. We'll take out at Diamond Creek. So it was 200 and about 30 miles of paddling in 12 and a half days. Uh, plus doing all the amazing side hikes. Because what I learned is that, I mean, the Grand Canyon is simply spectacular. The rapids are really cool and super fun. Um, but the best thing about it is it's, an incredible way to get from one mind-blowing hiking spot to another. You know, we tried to get a hike in most days. We definitely hit all of the kind of must-do hikes along the way. And paddling, you know, I would say my boat weighed probably about 150 pounds. So it was more or less like kayaking a giant water-soaked log down the river. Like, I could, I could point at the top what direction I wanted to go, and then I didn't really have a lot of options from there. Um, because steering was limited in that thing. But, uh, you know, it was really cool because every night you get to your beach, you set up camp, you don't have to deal with group gear, group logistics. Everyone has their own food and everything that they take care of. And we were usually on the water about four hours a day. I think our longest mileage day was about 28 miles. And there are people who do the same trip. I was talking to some people recently who did the exact same trip. Only they went all the way to Peter's Ferry and they did it in seven days. Um, and I know a couple other people who've done it in seven days and five days. And I personally would have liked one extra day added on to the trip. Like then there would have been no days where I felt like, oh my gosh, this could just, we could stop at any time and I would be doing 
grateful and someone just said five more miles and I'm not happy about that. Um, <laughs> but um, it was amazing. Self-support kayaking, it was such a cool way to do the Grand Canyon. Um, and, and it was one of those bucket list trips. I mean, I've been trying to go on the Grand Canyon for 30 years. I've had like five different offers and never been able to go. I said, does it live up to its hype then? Oh, 100%. Wow. Even more. I mean, you anybody, anybody listening, if you ever get the chance to go down the Grand Canyon, drop everything and go. Make it happen. <laughs> Make it happen. Yes. That's awesome. So cool. Um, what were you thinking about as far as the storyline while you were there? Or is that, you <laughs> can't talk about that yet. Well, you know, I was thinking because I have a rafting and a kayaking book. I have both of those books kind of swirling around in my head. Uh, but... I want to finish out this current backpacking series and I have book two in that series already drafted. It still needs editing. And then I have book three planned out. And then I think I'm going to do a standalone that's a, that's a boating one. Um, but I honestly, on that particular trip, I really tried my hardest not to think about any of it because I needed a reset really bad. Um, you know, just between COVID and then getting ready to do all the publishing on this book and having done all the stuff to prep for that. Um, I was just really excited to like not deal with anything real world for two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Sounds incredible. What, what do you, th anything else on the horizon for you as far as big adventures and how do you balance the desire to do those adventures, maybe a little bit on the longer side, not just like afternoon things, but multi-day things with riding full-time and do, doing your other pursuits. Well, you know, these days, because I, I've had the burnout experience a few times, and, and I always joke, like, you know, the universe will just keep smacking you upside the head until you figure it out. <laughs> like, that's, I think, I blew my right. shoulder so that I would be forced <laughs> to stop what I was doing and sit there and think about my life. So right now, as far as big adventures go, we actually don't have anything super big and major planned. I mean, getting the Grand Canyon, it, it was like such a big one off the list that I've been a little bit at a loss as, as to what's next. And we do so many great adventures all the time. I mean, I was just on a hut trip six weeks ago. Um, I've been skiing all over Colorado. I mean, I live in Colorado. There's so much to do around here. You know, I'm still trying to make it over to Moab and Fruta for some mountain biking this spring before it gets too hot. Um, you know, so there's always things. We, we want to go over to Europe uh, next winter and ski and visit my family. But I, I've had this dream for a long time that's kind of been flirting in the back of my head that I would really like to spend a few weeks canoeing the Yukon. Kind of random, but I just liked being way out in the middle of nowhere. And that would be way the heck out in the middle of nowhere. Wow. We, we actually featured, uh, funny enough, someone who kayaked the Grand Canyon in winter uh, on a recent episode, Liam Kirkham, you, a UK paddler, mostly stand-up paddler, but he also does tons of kayaking. In the most recent episode of Adventure Sports Podcast um, was Will Collins, who just shared his story about through paddling the entire Yukon River from source to sea. Wow. Check that out. It's about an hour long. It came out Monday. And uh, Will's great. He's awesome. Super approachable if you ever had questions. And he and a friend did it. Uh, they've done the Mississippi, but those were kind of his two big trips, the Mississippi and the Yukon. And I was blown away by the Yukon stories. He makes it sound so easy and just, you know, laid back about everything. But it was obviously <laughs> a huge adventure. And so I, I was pretty excited to hear about that one. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. I, I can't remember what got this Yukon idea stuck in my head because I've been holding on to it for 10 or 15 yeah. years now thinking about it. Yeah, seems like one of those, like the Grand Canyon just, I, but, but as far as like isolated experience, um, amazing. Not a ton of rapids either. So seems fairly, you know, compared to some of the things in the Grand Canyon, especially that video you sent me, seems much more tame compared to that. As far as the water, um, the wilderness and the outdoors, I'm, oh my gosh, just, there's no telling. It's, it's unbelievable out there. I couldn't imagine. Yeah. And, and, you know, my favorite thing, like, I love the rapids. The rapids are yeah. great. Super fun. I'll, always happy to, oh, yeah. to run some fun rapids. But truly my favorite thing about all of it is just being out there somewhere away from civilization. And the further out there I can get, the happier I tend to be, which is what put the Yukon 
on my radar. And I like the idea that it doesn't have a ton of rapids because I think there's already enough risk built into that trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that it kind of balances it well, that, that, that it's mostly flat water and, you know, little class one, two kind of stuff. Um, because, yeah, you're dealing with, you know, being way out in the middle of nowhere, rescue is not exactly going to happen right away. Uh, anything could go wrong. You've got a lot of wildlife, grizzly bears, you know, all of that. And uh, I just think it would be so fabulous to be that far out in the middle of nowhere for a while. And having done the Grand Canyon, I, I kind of know that, yeah, that really does suit me. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, so cool. Well, well, t- well tell us uh, what's next for uh, the book, Wild at Heart. Um, any speaking engagements coming up? Any any special releases or anything? And also, uh, I know the book's only been out a week. Um, I, I wanted to hear, you know, is is romance something that's needed more in the backpacking community? Is that one reason you wanted to write it, or um, is it a, a culture that's apt for uh, for plenty of romance, in your opinion? Well, I picked backpacking for these books partly because I knew that these would be uh, my first major releases. I have three novellas out and also a box set of the novellas that are available in ebook. And those are all skiing-based romances. And I wanted to start with a sport that was really approachable and familiar for people outside the outdoor industry, because I assumed more of my readers would come from romance lovers than outdoor people. And so I thought it would be a good balance. And I, you know, I just really, I think we could all use a little more modern romance. I mean, I can't believe how many times when I was young, I was told that either I was too feminine to be doing the outdoor things, or I was too strong and hardcore for a guy to be attracted to me. Who's telling you that stuff? Jeez. I know. It's ridiculous. But I mean, I certainly, I dated a guy that I was the better boater. That did not go well. Um, I dated guys who we were both skiers. And then in the summer, they were climbing and I was boating. And it wasn't like they were going to give up their climbing plans, but they wanted me to give up my boating plans. And, you know, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think the world... I mean, one of the greatest things about romance, and it is the one thing that differentiates romance novels from anything else, is that they always have a happy ending. It can be a happily ever after or a happily for now. So like they don't have to be married with kids or whatever, but it's got to end with the two people together happy. And I think that right now, I mean, we're in some pretty weird ass times and there's a lot of unhappiness and stress in the world. And it's lovely to be spending my time in a world where things are going to end up happy and bringing that joy to other people as well. So I kind of think everybody needs it. And I think a lot of women, whether they're outdoorsy or not, would like to see more strong women represented who don't need a guy to come rescue them, but would love to have a partner who sees them for all that they are and appreciates that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of my angle there. And um, as for what's next for me, I have a book signing this Saturday night uh, in Niwot, Colorado at Inkberry Books at 7 p.m. I'll be doing a reading and a book signing. I've got another one scheduled in Lafayette, Colorado at the Red Queen on June 24th. And I will also be their book club selection for June. So that's very exciting. And uh I've got a number of additional podcasts and things like that happening. And of course, I'm, I'm always looking for more opportunities to, to speak, to talk to people's book clubs, to go to bookstores, to go to outdoor stores. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking for opportunities to try and do some, some women's hikes as well. And, uh, you know, maybe meet some ladies and do a reading and go for a hike, that sort of thing, which I think would be really fun. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get the word out there. Hopefully folks will go and it's a, it's a good crowd listening to this podcast and, uh, yeah, very cool, uh, spin on the whole romance novel idea. Um, it's obviously more 
of an updated uh, message and, and theme. I'm married to a really strong woman. I tell her all the time. I told her this morning, actually, she's walking out the door and I'm like, you don't need me. <laughs> it's just like, it's this joke that we have going like, yeah, we don't really need each other. We're both pretty independent, but uh, we like being around each other. So <laughs> we stick around. Right. Well, it, isn't that the deal though? You know, it's not that you want to need somebody or you want someone to need you. You want them to want you. Yeah, Definitely. Right. Definitely. So I love that. Yeah, both, <laughs> I'm like, ah, you don't need me. You just we, we're just we're just hanging out with each other all the time. But um, no, it's uh, it's funny. But wow, this is great. Well, thank you so much for uh for for jumping on, listening to, or being on the show and sharing some stories about adventure and and just telling us, gosh, the the wild twists and turns that uh that a, a career in this outdoor space can can take and, and and sometimes it's trailblazing an entirely new path that doesn't even exist yet like outdoor uh industry romance novels which is uh something i never thought we'd be talking about on the show but it's really cool really cool to hear about <laughs> <laughs> well i really appreciate you having me because well obviously you know i can talk the outdoor adventure stuff that you're used to um i love that that you and folks like you are are opening your doors to me to come and talk about this new thing that maybe everyone would have kind of laughed at, scoffed about it at one time. But I think it's really cool. And I think it's something, honestly, I mean, I've had some of my guy friends read my books and they're like, this is really good. Yeah. You know, so people have to let go of some of their preconceived notions from both ends of, you know, the folks who think romance novels are stupid and trite and the folks who think a woman in the outdoors is a really weird anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I just don't understand that at, at uh, uh, you know, we, we have so many, so many amazing athletes out there uh, of all genders. So it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, personally, every adventure I ever did, I'd always daydream about what if I just ran across this amazing woman that we just hit it off. You know, you, you daydream about the possibilities, especially when you're single and, and it eventually happens. So um, it's possible. And this kind of stuff does happen. There are chance encounters with other adventurers and other people traveling. And um, it's kind of fun to think about from, from a female or male perspective. So no, I think it's great. And I don't know if I mentioned, I, I work for a, I work now for a, a non-alcoholic brewery. Um, so I'm always open to, out there ideas, you know what I'm saying? Because what I do for a <laughs> yes. living is something no one, everyone said you shouldn't be doing, but here we are. So yeah, everything else sounds way more normal in comparison or at least doable. So always happy to talk about the, the path less traveled, that's for sure. Uh, I love that. And I can just imagine that you get some of the same looks I do. Oh, yeah. You're like, where do you do for a living? Well, I work at a non-alcoholic brewery. They're like, really? Really? How's that going? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what What's I get, your too. Plan? So I write outdoor adventure sports romance. Really? Oh, very How's cool. That work? <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. What's uh, what's 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 what are you gonna do when that falls apart? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I, you know, that's the thing is, I also was the person who kept dreaming of finding the guy that would be doing the outdoor sports with me and be into it, and we could play an adventure together. And I did. Yeah. Um. So yeah, whether you know whoever you are out there, if you've been dreaming of finding a partner who would go and do your adventures with you and you want to add a little more power to that dream, you should totally buy my book and read it. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Well, I recommend it. Well, thank you so much, Stacey, for jumping on. And uh, yeah, have some fun. Good luck with the book. Uh, ha have fun with that journey as well. And yeah, look forward to uh, hearing this story come out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for having me, Mason. And if anybody wants to find me or follow me, uh, stacygold.com is my website. I'm author Stacy Gold on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and I post a lot of my, my outdoor adventure pics up there. So yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>